Welcome to the Special Ed Files. I'm Jennifer Laviano, a special education attorney. And I'm Julie Swanson, a special education advocate. Case by case, we expose what really goes on in special education. Each episode, we open up a case based on real life experiences. We reveal where things went wrong and explain the legal implication. Finally, we solve the problem so you don't have to. Let's open up a file. All names in this podcast have been changed to protect the individual's identities. Let's open the file on Kai and the cover-up. Well, oh, let's see. Julie. Yep, you, you. I'm going to go right into the facts on this one, Jen. Yeah, this one I'll never forget when you called me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. Some of this stuff you just can't make up. Most of it. Okay, so Kai was uh, a young, uh, young girl in fourth grade. Um, Kai had severe anxiety uh, disorder um, and um, unfortunately had a IEP under the awful uh, term um, under the IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act called emotional disturbance. Mm-hmm. And emotional disturbance um, is essentially is defined by it means a condition exhibiting one or more of the following characteristics over a long period of time and to a marked degree that adversely affects the child's educational performance. And it includes perhaps the inability to learn that cannot be explained by intellectual, sensory, or health factors, an inability to maintain or build satisfactory interpersonal relationships with peers and teachers. It could be the inappropriate type of behavior or feelings that happen under normal circumstances. Perhaps it's a general pervasive mood of unhappiness or depression, or a tendency to develop physical symptoms or fears associated with personal or school problems. And now, I just want to note, some students have more than one of these, um, but yes. all that's required is one of them, right. as long as it adversely affects educational performance and um also uh, requires specialized instruction and and the uh, other sort of modifiers the that it occur to a marked degree and for um, right. a long period of time. So, right. um, you know, we hate the term emotional disturbance. Right. It is what Congress uses. Um, we feel it's very pejorative and antiquated because um, mm-hmm. it sounds like you're blaming um, a student or judging a student who has um, one of these characteristics, but that is the category under the law. Well, it's just not, just not. Uh, doesn't yeah, really disturbed. ring a happy yeah. tone when you say someone is disturbed. And it puts um, off parents and, and educators. Every, sure. We all universally dislike this term. Absolutely. So no, Jen, in Kai's case, um, it was really her, um, her inability to maintain interpersonal relationships with peers and with um, adults. And, and so this was uh, causing Kai to have um, real social trouble at school. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the parents had always thought, you know, is it just her severe anxiety that causes her to, um, sort of have so many social faux pas, if you will, you know, really misinterpreting what people are are saying to her and, and saying all the wrong things at just the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so to address this through Kai's IEP individualized education program, Kai participate in what a lot of school districts called the lunch bunch, right? Mm-hmm. And this is when students 
who are without disabilities and students with disabilities get together and have their lunch. And while they're having their lunch, they work on social social skills, social competencies, typically, right? Yeah, and it can be with a school psychologist, it can be with a social worker. And some, sure. some schools, they don't include students who don't have disabilities, and some do. It depends on how they're delivering right. the, the service. And sometimes the lunch bunch is in the IEP as a service. And sometimes it's just done sort of casually mm-hmm. like, Oh, well, let's, let's, you know, let's do a lunch bunch. Can't hurt. Um, in, in this case, Kai's lunch bunch was, um, as part of her IEP, um, as a service. And she was going once a week to address the social concerns, um, that not only the school had, but of course her parents had as well. And as I said, you know, Kai was continually getting into trouble for social misunderstanding. And so, you know, this just went on and on and on. And the parents finally retained me because at the end of the day, Jen, they suspected a pragmatic language disorder. Let's talk about what a pragmatic language disorder is. So when we look at speech and language, we, there are different components, right? We've got speech. I'm speaking right now. That's speech. Mm-hmm. And, and, and language is um, the, 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 the we, right. But we have expressive, mm-hmm. we have expressive language that I'm expressing right now. And we have receptive language. I'm, you're listening to me and you're understanding what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Then there's the pragmatic language of the pragmatic aspect of speech. And this involves um, the understanding or use of the aspects of language um, that are around the social use of language, you know, including greetings or making requests, um, changing your language in accordance with what is actually going on, having perspective taking, what is that other person thinking? Um, how do I react from a social perspective? Do you have anything to add to that, Jen? It's probably not the best explanation of pregnancy. No, I thought language, it was a, right? good, a very good, you know, neither of us are speech and language pathologists, but you know, it sounded like a very good summary of what, um, you know, we're talking yeah. about in the case of Kai. What I, I do want to point out to, to families as part of um, this fact pattern and just in general on this topic is that, you know, speech and language is a broad area Mm -hmm. and um, articulation is different from language. Mm -hmm. And what I've seen many times, and this is thankfully something that I'm happy to report has changed quite a bit over the years. Many, many, many more schools are focusing on that language piece is when a parent raises the concern about speech and language, what they really need is mean is language and the school does testing on speech. And so Mm. they'll do an evaluation and say, there are no articulation issues here or the articulation issues that exist are age appropriate or whatever, and rule out the need for speech and language services. And in fact, what parents concerned about in a case like this is language, not speech. Right. And so, you know, parents retain me because they were, you know, really to the point where, my goodness, we just, we, we can't believe that her, her inability to be successful socially is just based on her severe anxiety disorder. Let's go, um, you know, they retained me and we went into an IEP team meeting, an individualized education program team meeting, and we requested an IEE, an, ind- an independent educational evaluation 
for speech and language. Now, Kai had been evaluated in speech and language, but like Jen said, it really wasn't for the language part of speech, but more of the speech part of speech, right? Right. She didn't have articulation issues, so she was never found eligible. So the district did agree to do uh, an independent evaluation with a speech and language pathologist, and um, they agreed to the speech and language pathologist who we um, suggested. And you know, time went on, you know, speech and language, uh, you know, evaluations can take a different, let's just say typically, it could be anywhere from six weeks to months upon months upon months, depending on how busy the independent person is and how many cases they have. Um, But we were expecting this speech and language um, evaluation by this private evaluator to, to be within the eight week mark, right? So eight weeks comes and goes. Eight weeks comes and goes, and the district, the parent reaches out to the district and is told, well, we still don't have this evaluation. Okay. So now I, you know, I, I get around in the state. I'm involved in many cases, and I run into the speech and language pathologist at another IEP team meeting for another student. And uh, we were walking out to the cars the together. What's that? The independent speech pathologist, right? Oh, the yes. I'm sorry. I didn't say that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And we're walking out to the car, just chatting. And I said, oh, by the way, you know, we were expecting, you know, um, Kai's evaluation to be done by now. You, when, it, Just so I know, like, is it you're running late? Like, when, when do you expect that? She says, Julie, I gave that evaluation to the district three weeks ago. Did yeah. you now? Okay. Mm-hmm. So okay. I, I tell this to... The, well, well, no, no, no. So then the, the evaluator said, the independent evaluator said to me, listen, I'll just send one to the parents. There must have been some sort of, you know, misunderstanding with the school district. I'll just send her one. Now, in the meanwhile, the parent had said to the district, you know, kept saying, could you please give me the evaluation? Can you please give me the evaluation? Well, at the same time, the parents then gave her the evaluation and she knew that it had already been. The the district. Parents. Oh, good Lord in heaven. Okay. Listen to me. Yes, it gets confusing, Jen. The district gave the parent the evaluation, and now Kai's parents also had the evaluation that the independent speech and language evaluator had sent them. Right. Now, by this point, the parent is kind of suspecting like something's fishy with this. Mm-hmm. And I got to give her credit. She, you know, she said, I just want to make sure that everything's, you know, kosher here. Right. And she did a side by side examination of both evaluations word by word. Can you imagine how long that, that took? takes patience? I think there's software for that, but, but I, I can't tell you what it well, is. I'm pretty sure she didn't have it. Okay. Yeah. Well, guess what happens, Jen? When you get to the recommendation aspect, a portion of an evaluation, it's very typical for the evaluator to say, you know, here's what I recommend this student requires or, or the team should consider. And the evaluator had recommended some pretty, in, well, it was deemed that she, in fact, had a pragmatic language disorder and mm-hmm. qualified as a student with a speech and language disability, right? Right. And made the recommendation in her original um, evaluation report that Kai will benefit from these speech and language services. Mm -hmm. But in the copy that the parent got from the school district, the word will benefit, the word will 
was changed to may benefit. Mm-hmm. Now let's examine that for a moment. You know, there's when when the obligation of a school district is to consider the recommendations of the professional, right? The switching the word will to may has very big consequences, sure. right? One is just a mere suggestion, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right? And the other one is, yeah, no, th- this child, this child will, will needs this, right? Yeah. So the parent calls me up just could, beside herself. I can't even believe I discovered this. So I make a phone call to the director and I said, you know, I got to tell you, we're a little uh, upset about something. And I told her what happened. And I said, you know, I don't know how this happened. But here's, here's the fact. This is no longer an independent evaluation because somewhere along the line, this evaluation was changed, right? Mm-hmm. And the director of special education was not aware of it, did some digging, or at least she told me she wasn't aware of it. And it was ultimately found out that the principal called the evaluator, the independent evaluator, and said, I'd like you to change this word from will to may, because for whatever reason, they thought it would be less of a opportunity for the district to have to provide these services. Yep. Right. And I said to the director, I said, we got a problem on our hands here because I don't consider this an independent evaluation anymore. And she told me what happened. She was very honest about it. And I will get to, when we go over the verdict, I'll actually tell you what happened. Yeah. But, you know, in the meanwhile, Jen, let's talk about the law. Yeah, let's talk about the law. So, okay, let's talk about independent evaluations to start with. Okay, IEEs, independent educational evaluations, are a a right that a parent has if they disagree with the evaluation that was done by their school district of their child. They have a right to ask that somebody who is independent, which by law means somebody not employed by the school district, uh, evaluate their child at the school district's expense. It's a, it's it's essentially a right to have a second opinion at at district expense, okay? Because you don't agree with the testing that was done by the school district, and you're entitled to it based on discipline. So, as an example, if the school district does a psychological evaluation and you disagree, you're entitled to an independent psychological evaluation. If they do a speech evaluation, you're entitled to an independent speech evaluation, etc. Um, there's lots of complica- complicated aspects of the law surrounding independent educational evaluations and how the parent goes about asking for one and what the school's obligation is if they disagree that they should have to be provided one. It's really, again, a very, very complex area of the law. But what parents should take away from this is that they have the right to say, I disagree with your testing and I'm asking for an IEE. In this particular case, the district agreed. They didn't fight you on that when you asked for it, which they could. They could have said, we disagree. And Mm -hmm. then they'd have to file for a hearing as a district and say, we're defending our own testing. But in this case, they didn't. They said, all right, we'll agree to do this with an independent evaluator. The whole point of a parent's right to this is that they should get an opinion about what their child's uh, disability is and what their needs are from somebody who doesn't have a vested interest in the recommendations, right? It's supposed Mm -hmm. to be someone independent. In fact, it's defined by law as being not an employee of the school district um, because you're entitled to that true independent uh, opinion. Um, And in fact, you know, courts, when they cite to even the Supreme Court, when they cite to the panoply of rights that parents enjoy under the special education laws, this is one of the, the uh, rights they refer to repeatedly because it really is a strong protection. And so when a district undermines the independence of the evaluation 
by saying, hey, we're paying for it. So we want you to change, you know, will to may or does to does not or can benefit from versus requires or whatever else they do to try to manipulate the recommendations. That is flying in the face of the parent's right to an independent evaluation, which is thankfully the the director recognized that when she found out what happened. And, you know, Jen, I was I was so sad. Like, I truly felt like so deflated when I found this out because I thought, wow, if that isn't like the ultimate sort of slap in the face of I can't trust this team, that a principal is actually reaching out to an evaluator to say, I want you to change something about your evaluation. On the core it, issue in dispute, you know, on, on the yeah. key thing that that's into, I mean, right. look, people make mistakes in reports, right. they do typos. You know, the, the I've, I've seen reports where the evaluator got something very wrong about what was happening in school because they didn't really have a conversation with the teachers. It's one thing to reach out and say, hey, look, I would like you to add, you know, a paragraph about how you never observed that classroom or you never spoke to that teacher or, you know, you were wrong. That's actually not our special ed teacher. That's our regular ed teacher that you observed. Whatever. I, I can understand mistakes and reaching out and trying to make sure that the record sure. is accurate. But this was clear manipulation. Right. And, and also... It, and, and I really do believe the director who I, I truly believe was not aware that the principal yeah. had done this, you know? Yeah. So, you know, let's go to a rewind. Let What could have been done differently? And I'm going to start right off with, again, I say it over and over. We both do training for the yeah, staff, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm sure that that principal was not aware of the fact that she couldn't reach out to the evaluator to ask for the evaluator to change something about the evaluation, right? I mean, if she were aware of it, it that's even worse. I'd like to, I'd like, I'd like to think that person wasn't aware. I would with, like to think it too. I am maybe right. more cynical than you on that point. I will say this: that um, very often. Uh, the behind the scenes issue with things like this is that a principal is doing their best to support their team members. And so I've seen many principals who feel like a report, an independent evaluation report makes the team members or their staff look bad. And they're trying to very clearly be as their boss and as their, the person who trains them, you know, they want to stand up for them and stand up for their team. And I, I do understand that. And I, 100% 100% can see that happening when there's, you know, a claim of uh, poor performance or that they're not doing their job properly and all that. But this, in this case, I think that the to ask a, an independent person to change their bottom line recommendation is really right. where I find it well, particularly offensive. If we do the medical equivalent of that, let's just pick anything, you know, this patient will benefit from a a new heart <laughs> right? or versus this patient may benefit from a new heart. I mean, that's a pretty, you know, I, I know that matters. A- no, listen, language. I've, I've had spent an entire, you know, day in a mediation only to have the deal fall apart over one word. I mean, words matter. Right. And especially when they are, you know, part of a document and, 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 a, you know, this is an extension of a parent's exercising right. of their legal entitlement to get an independent opinion. And so now when you've, when you've influenced the opinion, it becomes an independent evaluation in name only. Right. So right. it's just, it's not. So yeah, absolutely. Right. Training would have helped. Right. And, you know, more on the rewind here, you know, as a parent, you should really know, and, and as a district, right. That look, the district has an absolute right to receive that evaluation first. Cause guess what? They paid for it. 
right? But they should not be holding on to that evaluation, you know, for, you know, TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. That should be also, once they receive it, getting into the hands of the parents. Um, and so, you know, that's something very important, I think, for people to, both people who work in school districts and um, parents to, to, to know. Right. Yeah, and and uh, further to the rewind of things that could have been done differently, and there are practitioners who do this as part of the routine of asking for independent evaluations, um, meaning advocates and attorneys and others who don't. But the in almost every case where a, where a school district agrees to an independent evaluation, they're going to enter a contract with that evaluator. Mm-hmm. And as a parent, it's a good tip to ask for a copy of the contract because right. you don't know what that contract says. That contract could say. We insist on seeing the the initial report first as a school district and that you will not share it with the parent until we have um, had a chance to review it with you and approve it. Now, that would, again, fly in the face of your right to an independent evaluation. I've seen many contracts that school districts have sent to independent evaluators that essentially nullify the independence of the evaluation by, by putting into terms that um, are going to have the school district have basic control over the the report and the um, recommendations. So, you know, you might want to ask for it and you're entitled to it. Right. So, you know, the last thing that I have for the rewind is really a message for independent evaluators, right? Mm-hmm. Talk about, you know, sometimes, um, you know, when you're, you're an independent evaluator, you don't work for a school system. You may not have a full understanding of what the laws are under the IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And so in this case, Jen, I, I know the person, right? And I I, I called her up and I said, um, you know, I'm sorry, why do I keep doing no, that? I'm, the I'm independent sorry. speech and language pathologist. I called her up and I said, listen, I, I uh, your report was fantastic. Um, I do have a question um, and it's a, it's of a sensitive nature. I said, we found out that there was a word changed in the evaluation. Tell me what happened there. She goes, oh yeah, well, the principal called me and said she insisted that I change the word from will to may. And she was very insistent upon it. And so I did. Mm-hmm. And I said, listen, um, we're all lifelong learners here. Okay. Hopefully what I'm going to share with you is something that will influence the way that you um, move ahead. um, And when something else like this happens to you, please know that when, when a parent gets an IEE an an, an independent educational evaluation, that word independent is really strong, right? In, in, in the statute in that it truly needs to be independent. And in fact, when you felt very much under pressure to um, do exactly what the principal had asked you to do, it actually null and voided out the independence of the evaluation for that parent. Um, And I made it very clear to the district that we no longer considered this an independent evaluation and that we thought, you know, um, it was most unfortunate that the evaluator, you, were put under that um, that duress and that direction to do so. I said, so please, you know, moving on, a lesson learned. Um, You know, if anybody asks you to change your evaluations in the future, please don't. And I have to tell you, this, this person, you know, was so grateful to me. It, it didn't feel right to her, but at the same time, she didn't quite have uh, uh, the experience to know, 
that, oh my gosh, I'm really violating the, the parents' rights here. Uh, well, and right? Julie, you point out such an uh, you know essential thing for people to understand. Most independent evaluators, especially those who are readily agreed to by school districts as opposed to fighting the parent when you ask for it, most of them are people who work well with districts. They, they, they you know, are people who, right. you know, play well with them, okay? Right. And they try to be respectful uh, and they try to be diplomatic, even if they find significant fault with the program or with the um, right. program, the IEP, they try really hard to not be offensive and to not come in, you know, guns a blazing and, and accusing the team of not doing their job. That's right. how, why they get agreed upon, right? It's the independent evaluators that schools resist who tend to be more blunt or maybe um, more uh, prescriptive in their recommendations and stronger in, in their willingness to recommend costly programming. And so this evaluator was doing a very reasonable thing, which was to try to work well with a team that she hoped she would work with again for other students right. and to have a reputation of being someone who is a problem solver and not accusing people. Um, and, you know, the flip side of this is true. When you say if that you told her, if anybody tells you to change your report, you should, you know, know that that's a problem. I do mean anybody. That means other than clerical or, you know, typos or facts sure. that are wrong. Right. I don't, you know, I've had parents who call me and say, um, uh, the independent evaluator asked me to call you to ask you what you want them to put in the report. And I say, I'm not, I'm not a speech and language pathologist and I don't want, it's not my role here to tell them. That's why we brought them in. That's right. their area of expertise. I, I'm not, I, I don't have an agenda here other than to find out what your child needs. Right. And, um, and so, you know, I think it's just so important that um, p all people who are touched by or working within schools or special education or disability become as informed as they can be about what some of the basic rights are that exist yeah. for parents and for students. Because, you know, well-meaning educators, well-meaning evaluators, well-meaning therapists often make big mistakes that have legal consequences um, because they're, they're not aware. Absolutely. And we see that we see that quite often with many evaluators where you they made this really good recommendation, but they word it in a way that you're like, oh, God, no. They, oh, I they, wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> Julie and I have done training with some of these people because, you know, many um, therapists, especially psychiatrists and medical professionals are doing their best for their patients and they'll write things up in a way to try to get the family's insurance to cover the support. And they'll write it in a way that is very harmful to the educational process. So they'll put into there as an example, you know, this child, um, in order to maximize the potential of Johnny, Johnny should have the following things so that he can get the best program of, pro you know, ever, which <laughs> is not the legal standard, you know, and the right. parents will send it to me and I'm like, Oh, I wish <laughs> they had known that this is only going to hurt in the IEP meeting. Jen, let's get to the verdict and see what happened to Kai. Yeah, what happened? Well, okay. So upon finding out that the, this word had changed and me calling up the uh, director of special education um, and when she actually did verify that, yes, the word was changed and she was appalled, right? She knew this was not a good thing. Yeah. And she basically called me. She's like, Julie, what do the parents want? I said, well, what the parents want is what exactly was recommended that Kai receive. I forget if it was two or three times a week. Um, it was a combination of direct services with the speech and language pathologist and the, and, or the social worker to work on pragmatics of language, right? The social competencies of language. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of small group 
um, sessions so that, in fact, the Kai could practice her new learned skills from the individual um, sessions with other children, right? It's, it just makes sense. I said, that's all they want. Yeah. Boom. She says, consider it done. Yeah. Consider Good. it done. Uh, and she was, she did the right thing. She did the right thing because boy, Jen, if this had ever gone any further, it would not have passed the, the sniff test. No. Um, so anyway, on that note, um, as always, we certainly hope that everyone who's listening has um, been able to walk away with some golden nugget of information, perhaps that they didn't know before, and that may help you in your advocacy um, for students with disabilities. And on that note, we will close the file on Kai and the cover-up. Bye-bye now. Until we open up our next file, this is Jen Laviano. And Julie Swanson. The Special Ed Files is a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. Our executive producer is Dave DeRoche, Quinnipiac University Director of Community Programming. Our producer is Brian Murphy. File closed.